This is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hey everybody, my name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead Podcast, episode 227, recorded unusually on Tuesday, September the 22nd, 2015. Thank you for joining us, everyone, and thank you for being patient this week. Uh, we could not record last week, unfor- or yesterday, I mean, La- unfortunately. <laughs> it's been a long day, has it? Yeah, you know, it's been a long couple of days. Uh, we couldn't record yesterday, unfortunately, because I've been traveling. I've been a bit all over the place. It's been a fantastic trip, but I wasn't ready to get going yesterday, and we made the call to uh, delay it by one day. So thank you for being patient, but we are here now. And we got lots to do. Um, I'm in Vancouver on the West Coast, and I just spent like three days driving through the Rocky Mountains from Calgary. It was amazing. That would be amazing. I'm super jealous. Yeah, it was a really, really fun drive. But it's what screwed up the podcast, so I apologize to everyone for that. Uh, it was my own enjoyment that uh, made us miss a day. Well, there you go. Yeah, what can you do? Uh, okay, so we are here today to chat about... Uh, season one, episode four of Fear the Walking Dead. But before that, we are, of course, going to take a quick look back at last week's episode via some of your uh, emails. And I also want to talk about something that is just getting underway that we have become a part of that I think is kind of fun and going to be pretty cool. And that is walkingdeathpool.com. All right. <laughs> so uh, a, a couple of months ago, a guy named Mark sent me an email and a message, and he told me that he wanted to start up walkingdeathpool.com, which is kind of just what it sounds like. You make predictions on who will die on The Walking Dead, and um, then, you know, as the season plays out, you're assigned, maybe not assigned points, but you, you know, you, your, your predictions are validated or invalidated, and there's a leaderboard, and it's really just for fun, and you know, you can compete against your friends. But Jason and I have got involved with this. Um, not that we did anything or had anything to do with it. This is all Mark. He's done I a made a job. prediction. You did make some predictions. Maybe, maybe two. I. How many did yeah. I do? I did two, right? I think you did two. I've made five. But um, the point is, we are just riding the coattails of Mark. This is all him. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's been, it's, it looks really great so far. But the reason I bring it up is because... Like we just said, we've made predictions, and what we think would be fun is if you guys, all you listeners, go to walkingdeathpool.com, sign up, and join our pool. So what it means is we can get a whole bunch of us all together, and throughout the season, throughout the, se- uh, the, the year, season six of The Walking Dead, we'll see how we do. I don't expect to, to be on top. I'm sure the listeners out there are much more smarter than we are. <laughs> they are much more smarter. And that's right, and can make better predictions, but it'll just be fun to play along. So what you do is you choose who's going to die, in what episode of the season, and whether they die by human or by walker. Right. So it's sort of like Clue. Uh, yeah. So Location, person, method. I guess it is a little bit like Clue, yeah, in that way. It's yeah. going to be, you know, it's going to be Rick in the forest. No, Rick in episode, episode five. Yeah. With the candlestick. <laughs> With a candlestick by a yeah. walker. <laughs> right. Um, so 
yeah, so that's kind of what it is. And I think it might be fun. So if you want to join us, and there's other podcasters pools there too. Uh, you know, Mark has been working with other people as well. So you can join their pools if you want. But if you heard about it here, it would be great if you went and joined our pool and uh, we played along and sort of played along for the season. So right. walkingdeathpool.com, sign up. And then join the pool, the Talking Dead podcast is what it's called. And of course, make your picks. Um, I've made my picks. Jason, you actually have to go create your account and and put your picks in. So, Oh my God, do I have to use the internet? You do. I know you have to use the internet. <sighs> I hate that. But you hopefully can do that before this episode gets released to the public. So I by can the probably time... do it before the episode is over. All right. By the time everybody gets there, my picks will be in, Jason's picks will be in, and then you can start adding yours. Walkingdeathpool.com. It could be a lot of fun. And thanks to Mark for uh, getting us involved and for putting this whole thing together because it looks like it was no small amount of work. All right. Um... While you're putting your picks in there, Jason, why don't we move on and uh, quickly take a look at a look back at last week's episode of Fear the Walking Dead. You ready? I am super, super, super ready. That's pretty ready. That's yeah. good. Listener feedback. Um, one thing I wanted to just point out first, we do have a bunch of email here. Uh, but we got a number of emails from people regarding Nick's recovery and his withdrawal. Uh-huh. And if you recall, I was kind of saying that I feel like the depiction of it hasn't been all that realistic on the show. And I, and I was also saying that I hope they don't really gloss over it and just kind of, it, go, it just kind of goes away and they ignore it. And so people wrote in on that topic and told me that in general, in general, they thought that it was pretty well depicted because what's happening is he is taking drugs for it, which are replacements for the heroin. So the idea is he gets weaned off slowly and therefore he's not going to be constantly vomiting and, you know, writhing on the ground and pain and all that kind of stuff. And he will actually be able to function. And, and that's kind of what we're seeing. So right. fair enough. I take that. Um, but I also think that... I, I just don't want it to feel too easy for him to recover. And I know we learn more about that in this episode coming up. Uh, and I do feel better about it now, to be honest with you. But my, my point was really just that I didn't want it to feel too easy for him to recover. If they just don't sort of bring it up again, then I would have been disappointed. But I think now after seeing this week's episode, I'm feeling better about it in general. So you know, I'm, I'm okay now and everyone can stop sending me in descriptions of what it's like to, uh, come down <laughs> off of heroin. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, you know, I'm, I don't mind getting those emails, but, uh, I'm good. I am good now. Good, good, good. All right. So the first email here comes from Sean in Vancouver. Speaking of Vancouver and Sean says, Travis is the first to die. I like him, but come on. He watches his neighbor eating a dog and then tries to approach close to him and says, you're sick. And this, after he witnessed the whole thing with Calvin. Yeah, toast. So, yeah, as you were saying, it seems like Travis might be the first to go, and and uh, he's going to go out a hero, right? Yes, absolutely. He's, he's definitely going to go out a hero, but uh, he's not that smart because he's like, dude, do you know you're eating your dog? <laughs> yeah, you're not supposed to do that. <laughs> yeah, that's that seems wrong somehow. Are you okay? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. All right, next we have an email from Laura on the internet. Regarding the exchange between Madison and Liza, I don't agree that Maddie was making a power play over Liza. I think she has a more advanced understanding of the state of the infected, in quotes, and the sh uh, in the show than Travis. 
She knows that Travis probably wouldn't be able to dispatch her if she turned like Susan did and would most likely end up being one of the dead alives rather than going forward with what life uh, he has left. He really is in very deep denial about what's happening to people who turn. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. Travis is in super deep denial, but I still think that Maddie was trying to sort of assert her dominance over Liza a little bit. And uh, Laura seems to agree with what you were saying, Jason, that it wasn't that at all. Right. Uh, The next one, though, comes from Patience on the Internet, and she says, as a female, I can guarantee quadruple exclamation point with certainty that Chris is correct. It would break him was a slap in the face to Liza. It did mean he loves me so much that putting me down would destroy him. Wow. So take that. <laughs> well, you know, with four exclamation marks, uh, how can I deny it? I know. If you put four, that means you're ultra sure and, yeah. and right. <laughs> I, I would assume so. So anyways, I think people can see this sort of both ways. And, uh, you know, we learned this week that Maddie isn't all that happy with Liza, although it did feel like that mostly came from events that happened this week, not last week. Right, right, right. Uh, Next email is from Michael in Brisbane, Australia. I'll eat my hat if Daniel Salazar doesn't end up being the governor-style character for this show. I see him getting fed up with Travis at all really quickly, and he seems to want to lead and to do it his way. If that is the case, it will be interesting to see the path he takes to get to that state as as it's actually happening, rather than retrospectively like we got with the governor. Right. So with the governor, we got, we did get his story, but it was, it played out over flashbacks in different episodes and, you know, not that, not too much detail was really revealed. We know he met these people and they came with him and, and, uh, you know, he lost his, we learned about his, his family a little bit, but if Daniel Salazar on this show goes that route, in theory, we should see him kind of devolve into a governor type character. Right. And Michael said he is hat, so we're going to have to, you know, hold him to that. Well, of course. Well, it depends on what the hat is, right? If it's a, if it's a popcorn hat, all the power to him. That's right. A pop. Do you know many people with popcorn hats? I know a few. I've I've seen a few. It's the people with sausage hats you have to watch out for. <laughs> yeah, sausage hats seems a little uh, messy. <laughs> yeah, you just have to be careful. I mean, it's cooked sausage hat. You wouldn't have a raw sausage hat. Yeah, I guess not. You really don't want a raw chicken hat. <laughs> That'd be crazy. Yeah, that would be crazy. Um, what do you think, though? Do you think uh, Mr. Salazar has that potential, or is it too early to really know where he's going? Uh, I think he does have his own ideas, and I think he's a, uh, he's a very smart man, and he's very skeptical of other people. Um, whether he's going to crack and be the governor-type character, I'm not really sure. He might... Uh, he, I think he's more likely to just say fuck it and leave with his family. Well, he's the kind of guy that's seen some shit, you know? Yeah. Like, and again, I keep saying, I'm talking about this episode, but we get a little bit more about that. He tells this story about when he was younger and seeing bodies floating down a river. So, you know, he's seen some stuff and he doesn't mess around. Right. Is Is really what I think I'm saying. So... That could go either way. You know, maybe he'll become a really noble sort of good character, or maybe he's the kind of guy who's like, we just got to control this. I'm going to assert myself over everybody and uh, take over this town. That's true. Like the governor. Uh, All right, Ashley in Wichita, Kansas, USA. Remember, she wrote that. I I read things generally as the way people write them. Um, 
she writes, the character I dislike the most is Nick. Uh, I really don't like drug and drug addiction in TV shows and movies for one, but even being an addict, they have wrote his character doing some dumb, crazy things. You guys were talking about Nick and those old man clothes. I yell at the TV every time I see Nick and I see him wearing those ridiculous clothes. Instead of Monopoly, if I was Nick, I would have taken a shower and put on my own clothes. It is so dumb and it nags at me the whole episode. Yeah. <laughs> it does seem a little crazy that he hasn't changed. Or uh, borrow a shirt. Like even if for some weird reason you don't have any clothes in the house because you sort of half moved out and, uh, you know, all your clothes are gone, you know, bor- borrow a shirt. Exactly. There are men's clothes there. Travis yeah. lives there. There are, you know, you could borrow some of his clothes. Do you have a pair of shorts I might be able to put on? You know, just an extra something. Old pair of jeans. Uh, a moo-moo. I, I don't think anybody there would have a moo-moo, but, you know, you could ask. It couldn't be, hurt to ask. It would be different. Anything different would be okay. Yeah. Um, I, I 100% agree with Ashley, and I, I shouldn't necessarily have assumed Ashley was female, because Ashley can be a male name, too. Anyways, I 100% agree, um, but I do think that the character of Nick is been pretty good, and Frank Delane is doing a good job, at, like a great job with the acting, so I kind of like the character, um, clothes and uh, withdrawal storyline aside, which I think has gotten better. Um, you know, Frank Delane's done a great job, so yeah. hopefully, I can you know we can see past the weird clothing decisions soon. Grab the tablecloth and wear it as a sarong. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. It's like it's it's Los Angeles. It's hot weather. I mean, a sarong is perfectly appropriate for that weather. Get a get a big garbage bag. Cut some armholes and a head hole. Well, that's kind of hot because you know the garbage bags don't breathe a whole lot. Big paper bag, like yard you've, waste you've paper worn bag. garbage bags before, right? Oh, all the time. Yeah, so that's you know that they're, they're they'd be very difficult to do that. But you know, wearing a sarong is no problem. Right, sarong. Wear a is towel. Fine. You know, put a towel on. <laughs> He's good to Put go. a towel on. Well, he clearly has a bathing suit. Clearly. Yeah. Maybe he borrowed it. He probably borrowed it. All right. Next, we have uh, Rob in Cincinnati. A quick explanation of the X code the National Guard troops were using. When entering a building in urban rescue operations, you draw one diagonal line upon entrance. When you exit, you then draw the other line co- completing the X, and then you fill out the pertinent information. In the top of the X, you write the date. In the left side... Uh, the unit doing the clearing. The bottom part of the X is how many living uh, DOA and people evacuated. The right side of the X is any biohazards such as flood water or rats. So I found this really interesting, and thanks, Rob, for writing this in. But, I mean, the military has code for everything, which may be an obvious statement to most people, but it's not something I really spend too much time thinking about. And I think it was really cool that, you know, they were basically doing... This is a real life thing that they were doing on the show. Yeah. I don't think houses. it's a military thing. I think it's a rescue operations thing. I think it's a uh, firefighters, police, uh, that kind of thing. I don't think it's it's strictly military. It's it's rescue operations. Okay, that that makes sense. But I mean, the military does have code for everything, right? Well, yes, I'm sure they use the code. Right. Right. The same code because you know if it wasn't universal, what's the point? There's probably an ISO standard somewhere for this stuff. Oh, probably yeah. But I just thought it was fascinating that this you know this exists, and it totally makes sense. I mean, why wouldn't this exist? You need systems for communication when you know there might not be any other way to communicate. Right. Uh, and I like the fact that uh, you draw one part of the X upon entrance because if you're going down the street and you see only half an X, you're like, holy shit, somebody's in there. Yeah, somebody's in there and something's gone wrong, or they just haven't finished yet. Right. 
So <laughs> don't firebomb the place until you have all the X's completed. Right, or check it out. So uh, really cool. Thank you, Rob, for writing that in. Finally, Matt in Clementon, New Jersey. I think people have gone too far with their criticism of the choices being made and the sharing of information. Even seeing the few crazy things they've seen, wouldn't it sound ludicrous to assume the dead were coming back to life to devour the living? Granted, not accepting that fact would lead to a ton of extra death slash zombie making, but that doesn't mean it's not realistic. Nick is the only person who even knew that it was more than an illness. Eventually, everyone will come around, but it would seem unrealistic to have everyone agree that the dead were coming back to life one or two days after everyone thought it was a nasty bout of the flu. Right. And I think Matt here just encapsulated my thoughts generally uh, just perfectly that yes, people don't always talk, but it's so hard for us as the audience to see through the eyes of the characters. And he's right. It would be totally ludicrous for someone to say the dead are coming back to life and eating people. Um, if this was, you know, real life and right. there would be many, many people going, no, that's impossible. That can't happen. That's not true. And if people did just jump on that bandwagon too easily, it, it wouldn't ring true, I don't think, on the show, and it wouldn't feel right. Right, right, right. So uh, as much as sometimes you just yell at the screen and be like, come on, people, it's clearly what's going on, you know, I think it is better to have it this way and have a little bit more skepticism on the side of our characters. Yeah, I agree. Right? So... Mm. Thank you, Matt, for doing that. All right, that is all the email for now about last week's uh, episode. Why don't we move on into this one? This week, so this is episode number four. It was titled Not Fade Away. And the description from AMC is this. Madison and Travis see different sides of the National Guard's occupation in their neighborhood. The family tries to adapt to the new world. So, that seems fair. Yeah, I, I guess. Yeah, I suppose. Families tries to adapt. The ratings for this one, um, no one really reported on the ratings for this episode, so I had to go digging for them. And I believe it was 6.62 million viewers, but that's the only information I could find. So, Well, let's do a quick tally. I watched it. You watched it. Uh -huh. uh, did your wife watch it? No, because I'm not at home. She doesn't watch it when I'm not there. Okay, my wife didn't watch it. So you know, that's two, and we can extrapolate that to, you know, if, if the two of us were watching it, that means probably another six, seven million people probably watched it. Probably. So 6.62 million is probably about right. Yeah. Okay. So I agree with that number. Okay, good. Based on our quick tally. Good thing you're here to tally things up like that. Yeah. Um. So uh, that's down a little bit, those ratings, but still pretty good. That's because and your wife didn't watch it. You're right. And it beat out Sunday Night Football. Which your wife doesn't watch at all. Mm, I don't either. Exactly. So uh, that's okay. This all makes sense to me. All right. <laughs> that's Jason logic for you, everyone. Yeah. Um, all right. So I feel like my notes are a little bit all over the place uh, on this episode. I watched it in a hotel room on Sunday night. And the very next day I had to drive for six hours, which was beautiful because it was through the mountains. But I didn't have a lot of time to to write down everything and organize myself, even though I was sitting in a car for six hours. Uh, so we'll see how this goes. You're paying attention to other things, I would hope. Paying attention to the road, but also listening to The Martian again while I drove. Oh, yeah. So that's, a good, that's a good plan, actually. I, I wanted to listen to that again just 
to get ready for the movie because I'm really excited for the movie. I've heard good things about it. And, did you uh, get, get all the way through it? I did. I got all the way through it. All right. It was a solid 1,000-kilometer drive total, and I got all the way through the book at 1.25 speed, which is usually what I listen to anyways. So. Really? Yeah. I like to savor books, so I always put it at, uh, I always leave it at normal speed. No, nah, I like to, I like to get through them and I find 1.25 is, is not really a problem for listening and understanding. So, right. um, all right. So let's, let's, why don't you start, Jason? What did you think of this episode? How did it compare to the others we've seen this, this season? And what were your general thoughts? Well, it started off strong for me. There was some aspects in the beginning that I really liked, and uh, then it just kind of went, oh, it's okay from mm-hmm. that point forward. Uh, the slap was fun. I thought that uh, you know beating up your kids on national television is uh, always a good idea, uh, especially in an apocalypse. Um, <laughs> <laughs> always a good idea. <laughs> yeah. Okay, why not? Yeah, on national television. Don't do it in private. No. But if you're going to do it, uh, at least, you know, write a script and get on national television, not in a reality show, but in some kind of fiction. Anyway, I, I enjoyed that scene. I thought it was very uh, emotionally charged, mm-hmm. which uh, which was good. Um, I re- the, What I liked at the beginning was there was some really good uh, dialogue one-offs that, uh, that I, I really enjoyed. And I'm going to quote them here because uh, they're fun. Please do. Uh, he, the, at the beginning, uh, he's talking about, uh, you know, he's recording in the, in the camera and he's looking around and he goes, it all belongs to her, meaning mother nature again, and the dogs and the dead. That was Chris on the roof. That was Chris on the roof. That was a really good line. Yep. And then, uh, the military guy said, uh, we are infect free for six, six miles. Infect free. Yeah. I thought that was a really, uh, interesting use of the word infect. We I mean, infect free. I mean, is he trying to say that there have been no new infections or there are no, like, infected, infected people? Yeah, there are no infected people within six miles. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and then when uh, when Travis w- was asked to go in and talk to his neighbor, uh, he said, uh, you're going to go in and talk him down or I'm going to go in and take him down. <laughs> yeah, come on. That's a little... That's a little that would, cheesy, though, isn't I it? I like that line. I don't. I'm standing by it. I thought it was really neat. I've not heard that before, so I thought it was. Uh, it was a little cheesy, sure. Now that you're, you know, talking in retrospect, but I, I like that line. I, you know, it's it's a good sort of coupling of phrases. It's a it's a good um, pairing of phrases, right? But yeah. it felt a little cheesy. Does any would anyone say that in real life? He's a military guy. Military people say all kinds of stuff in real life that they wouldn't say outside of the military. Talk them down or take them down. Yeah. All right. I guess I can get on board with it. I at the time though, I did make note of that and thought that's ah, so no one would say that. But maybe I, I'm going to say it from now on. That's going into my general lexicon. <laughs> Great. So uh, next time you need to, someone needs a good taken down. You're going to try to talk to them first. Right. So, you know, it's, uh, I'm so excited about this phrase that uh, I'm going to go out of my way to get into a situation where I can use it. All right. Let me know when that happens. It'll be like a board meeting somewhere. You'll be sitting there and uh, you'll say it to a group of, <laughs> of your, your superiors at work. Yeah, that could be. <laughs> That'll be hilarious. <laughs> um, anything else? Uh, just that's it for general uh, opinions about the show is that it started off strong with these uh, uh, these lines that you don't seem to like and then uh, it kind of went meh up until the slap right so I I thought this episode I you know honestly I didn't like it very much when I first watched it um, 
And, you know, I, I got through watching it and then I left the hotel room to go get something to eat and was thinking about it a little bit. And I'm like, I don't think that was very good. Like, what happened in this episode? And I was trying to sort of run through what happened. And all I could focus on at the time was, well, Travis had to go talk to his neighbor because he was freaking out a little bit, but like, who cares? And Madison went outside the fence uh, for reasons that I don't really understand and um, don't think I would agree with if I did understand them. So like, what is it about this episode that, you know, what can I take away from this episode? And then I watched it uh, again um, the next morning before I got on the road because by then iTunes had downloaded it. And, uh, and I think I got a lot more out of it the second time uh, we, the second time I ran, ran through it. And I feel like this was an episode that they kind of used to just tell the audience stuff. Because I think we learned a lot about the situation and what's going on really in the city in this episode. Right. And I've got a list here of, of what we learned. And I, I feel like the, whole, the sole purpose of this episode was kind of inform us of these things, just so we'd have a better sort of general feeling about where we're at at this point. So here's my, uh, here's my list and stop me at any time. We learned that it's been nine days since the lights went out. Yep. And the lights going out, I guess, refers to more or less that scene where they were um, coming after they escaped the riot, right? They were coming back and we saw all the lights going out over yep. Los Angeles. Uh, we learned that they are in one of 12 safe zones. Uh, supposedly. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> And I'm using that on purpose. I know it's supposedly, but I like the word supposedly. Supposedly. Yeah. <laughs> it's a perfectly cromulent word. Yeah. Um, so one of 12 that they, you know, that they think anyways, they are in one of 12 of these safe zones. And a safe zone appears to be a neighborhood that has now been surrounded by fences, high fences with barbed wire. Right. So they've put these fences up around 12 different zones around Los Angeles, I guess. Yeah, south of the something or other. Yeah. So, um, south of the some landmark in, in California. No, well, that's something else, I think, because... Matt, uh, Maddie at one point says that they there have she heard about quarantine camps out near Barstow. Is that what no, you're talking he about? Did, no, the uh, the military leader said you were one of 12 safe zones south of the something mountains. Oh, yeah, the San something mountains. Right, right, right. Yeah. Okay, so that could be more than just Los Angeles. I don't know the geography as well out there and don't remember the name of the mountains, so it wouldn't help anyway. <laughs> right. Um, so there's that. Um, somebody may, makes mention that they were they piled people into trucks. They were allowed to take one suitcase east, and it was rumored that they uh, sorry one suitcase each, and it was rumored that they took them east, maybe to Las Vegas or something like that. Right. Well, uh, if you're gonna you know if you're gonna ship people off, ship them to Vegas. <laughs> right. still, you know, <laughs> people that's are, not so bad. People are used to zombies walking around that place. <laughs> Grab a zo suitcase. We're going to Vegas. <laughs> hey, trip to Vegas. <laughs> Um, so there's that. They piled them in with one suitcase. Uh, they said that nobody is left outside the fences, which to me says that they basically evacuated the whole city. Yep. Or, you know, killed them they all. They cleared six miles. They're infect-free. Cleared them. That's right. Um, and I think it's the military guy whose name is, what's his name? Moyers. I think he says that nothing is alive out there, outside the fence. So they've told us that inside these safe zones, people are alive, 
but otherwise nothing is alive anywhere in Los Angeles, at least, at least as far as they know. Um, the, also the military guy that Ophelia was getting with, he said he made reference to a quote, big push to take the city back end quote. Right. That's what they need the, uh, the medicine for. They need that, but doesn't that also mean there's some sort of offensive that there is planned that they're going to try to use to somehow take the city back from the uh, dead? Well, that, that's the scuttlebutt. Uh-huh, well. I don't know if that's true or not, but uh, that's what they're telling everybody is that uh, we're on the offensive. Yeah. Uh, we're going to push, take back the city. You and, know, you guys are uh, you guys are really lucky. You get to ride it out in your own homes. Mm-hmm. And that's what I mean. I think, like, that guy, that military guy that she was, you know, having sexy time with there in the, in the Hummer. They were just making out. Well, that's sexy time. They weren't having sexy time. It was just kissing in the back of a Hummer while his unit commander was uh, trying to get him to come online. If I was a unit commander and, and I was in the zombie apocalypse and I was trying to radio some dude that was supposed to be on patrol and he wasn't uh, responding, I'd go out looking for him because that might be a bad thing, right? Well, he did respond. I mean... Eventually, but he said, ah, they'll leave a message. <laughs> like freaking get on the horn or there's going to be uh, three more Humvees, a helicopter and uh, a tank coming out to, uh, to see if you're okay. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. Um, uh, what he should have said, the commander on the radio is quit having sexy time and put your uniform back on and get back here. You bastard. I don't think I like the phrase sexy time. Why not? I don't know. Okay. Well, just saying you don't have to, you don't have to use it, but if you're going to use, uh, Talk them down or take them down. I think sexy time is okay. All right. <laughs> uh, all right. Back to my list. Um, yes, as I already mentioned, Maddie mentioned quarantine camps out near Barstow. So, what's the difference between a quarantine camp and a safe zone? Uh, quarantine camp is where you pe- put people that you, that may or may not be infected. A safe zone is where you put people that you know are not infected. And isn't Barstow out uh, east? On the way to Vegas? I don't know. I think it is. I think Barstow is like halfway between LA and Vegas. Well, you've driven from LA to Vegas, so... I have, and all I remember is there was a gas station, and there was a big sign on the side of the gas station that said, Happy Halloween." <laughs> and that's all I remember about that drive. Must have been around October. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was it was end of September, so... Um, do you go over the Hoover Dam when you do that drive or not? Mm. Uh, I didn't. Okay, so I guess not. I suppose you could, but I didn't. I've always wanted to go to the Hoover Dam, so. Oh, yeah. Um, I want to go on a damn tour. Yeah, and ask some damn questions. That's right. All right. Um, (laughs) And finally, uh, Dr. Exner, played by Sandrine Holt, mentioned that the military hospital, this facility that they've been taking people to, is 15 minutes away, so it's not that far away. Um, So to recap here, nine days one of 12 safe zones. They have taken some people to um, to other places, either quarantine places or whatever, and that there's nobody alive left outside the fences, and except there's this military hospital 15 minutes away where presumably people are alive. Right. Okay. And just for reference, you'd have to go way out of your way not to go through Barstow on your way to Las Vegas. So you do go through Barstow. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, you'd have to go way around. Okay. Um, well, that's good to know. 
anyhow, um, so that's kind of, I feel like, what we, we learned about the world in this episode. And this whole episode, to me, was about communicating this thing, these things to the audience. Um, do you remember, Jason, when we used to talk about the, the main Walking Dead show, we speculated on more than one occasion whether they'd ever do a single episode without a zombie in it? Yep. Well, they've never done that on The Walking Dead, but they did it here on Fear. They did, didn't they? Not a single zombie in this episode. I, I mean, unless I missed it, but I watched it twice. There were some dead people. There were dead people. But they people. weren't undead people. We didn't see Susan. Presumably Susan has been long taken care of. Yeah. And we saw lots of bodies when Maddie went outside the fence, but we didn't see any undead people. We didn't see anybody walking around who was a zombie or getting attacked or being attacked or whatever. So yeah, no zombies in this whole episode. It's the first time on a Walking Dead TV show that they've done that to my knowledge. If I'm wrong about that, someone will let me know, I'm sure. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting. Um, And then, you know, I I started thinking a little bit more about it. And another thing that jumped out at me was, I think there's a certain amount of paranoia amongst the characters here that is starting to creep in. Um, Near the beginning of the episode, Maddie and I think Travis are talking, and she says that it's been nine days, and they haven't provided power, medicine, uh, etc. And then she says something like, maybe they don't want us to have these things, which to me sounds like she's suggesting there's some sort of conspiracy here, or at least a, um, you know, actions by the authorities that are not necessarily on the up and up. Right. And that's potentially huge, isn't it? If, if she thinks, or if in actual fact, there is some sort of conspiracy going on relate regarding sort of the recovery from this. And if you extrapolate that even farther, maybe if there's a conspiracy about the recovery, maybe this is caused or propagated by the authorities somehow. I don't know if I go that far. Uh, I think it's just uh, this crap is not available, and uh, they're playing down the uh, scope of the apocalypse. Right. So they know or, what's going on, but they're like, or trying they're not being to let them fed out. misinformation about the scope. It's not that they're it's they're you know with uh, withholding this stuff. I think it's just simply not available because the whole world has gone to shit. Uh, yeah, probably. Um, and I think that's probably what it is. Like, I don't think. In the end, I don't think the police, the government, the military, or any of the other authorities really, they may have a better idea of what's going on because they've had to deal with it a little bit more, but I don't think we're going to get into a situation where it's any more than that. Like, um, certainly not from a perspective of the authorities caused this or are in any way letting it happen, but spreading or withholding information is probably something that would be kind of realistic if this happened in real life, which I keep saying. Right. Right. So it makes sense. I'm just saying like, if Maddie is suggesting there's a conspiracy, that would be a potentially huge plot line in this show and really shed a lot of light on both shows. I think if the, if this was sort of caused by something that's man-made or, or whatever, you know, that would be great if we found out something. Yeah, but we're not going to. (laughs) No, of course not. But you know, it's fun to dream. We can speculate, exactly. Um, what about um, Madison going outside the fence? What did you What did you feel about this scene? Why did she go out and, and what did she learn from it? Well, why did she go out? I think she went out because we needed to somehow have a hole in the fence that will get exploited later. Mm-hmm. 
what was her character motivation for going outside the fence? It was the flashing light, wasn't it? Well, that's what I'm not sure about. Uh, so Chris sees that flashing light on the roof. At first, no one really, or his dad anyways, doesn't take him seriously. Um, but then Madison sees it too. And like, is like that's pretty far away. Is she really cutting a hole in the fence by herself? You know, and, and I think we already have a feeling that she has a pretty good idea of what's going on. She at least knows it's dangerous out there and that people are now dangerous. Yeah. Does it make sense for her to cut that hole and, and go out and, and just sort of run around by herself? I just, for me, I was like, what the hell? That's unnecessarily dangerous and silly for her to do that. Yeah. Uh, it is unnecessarily silly and dangerous, but I think she's, uh, you know, if there's somebody out there, she wants to try and help them maybe. Well, yeah, I guess. I mean, the whole flashing light in that other building, it happened right at the beginning. And then we see it on Chris's camera throughout the episode. And for me, I was like, okay, well, that's the MacGuffin that is going to get people out of this safe zone. We need a reason we need a reason for our characters to not stay put and be safe because that's boring. We need a reason for them to go out and do something. And there it is. They're seeing this call for help, uh, via this flashing light and they're going to have to go out and, and try to get to them and save them or something like that, which I was, I don't know. I, I, for well, that won't be necessary anymore. No, it won't be necessary anymore. And I was surprised and I liked that because at the end it wasn't a flashing light at the end. It was gunshots, right? Yes, it was gunfire from that building. So that's where they brought all the uh, the people to that they took out of the uh, out of the encampment to shoot them. Oh, I don't think so. I don't think that's what was going on there. I think that um, I think that was a legitimate call for help by some people stranded in that building. Oh, I see. But then something went wrong, and they. Um, I mean, maybe the living people were shooting at at the undead in that scene and the living people are still alive. I don't know, but it could easily, could easily just have been the other way around where, you know, there is, um, there is military outside the wall still patrolling. When Maddie was hiding under that truck, the military guys walked by, right? Yeah. So maybe they're out there patrolling and yes, maybe they went out, found them and disposed of them. So either way, I think that storyline is dead. What I liked about this though, is that they set that up at the beginning and all throughout the episode, you're thinking, well, that's what's going to force them to leave the safe zone. That's what's going to get them out of there. But then that gets resolved and it's something entirely different that's going to force them to leave the safe zone. And what that is, is the fact that Nick was taken away. Yeah, that's uh, that would be a pretty compelling reason to leave the safe zone to go and try and find uh, find your son. Yeah, and and I I, I kind of feel like it was a bit of a, a bait and switch, right? You think you think they're going to go have to do one thing, and you don't really see that Nick thing coming at all because they're going to take away um, Daniel's wife because she's got the the foot injury and she needs surgery. And they're going to take him with her because, you know, it's her, uh, it's her husband, but then they switch it on you and it's like, oh, oh, they're taking Nick. And technically there's nothing wrong with Nick. He's just a recovering drug addict. Um, right. so I, I thought that was kind of cool the way they, the way they did that. And I have a feeling they're just going to forget all about that flashing light now. And just the gunshots are supposed to be the cue that, well, that situation has been taken care of and there's nothing more to do here. Well, that's kind of sad, but okay. Yeah. I would have liked to have seen what the hell's going on in that building. I think so, but I think, I don't think you're going to. I think that's, that's going to be it. Um, 
anyways, uh, when Maddie was outside the fence, yeah, to me, it just sort of felt, I didn't understand really her motivation for, for going out if it wasn't going to check out that light. But, you know, I think she probably would have not just cut a hole and run out by herself if that's what she wanted to do. Right. And it just felt unnecessarily dangerous. Um, but we did find out that there's, you know, lots of debris out there, lots of bodies all over the place, many with headshots, it looked like. We saw the military patrol. And then the most interesting thing about it was, is that later on when she's talking to Daniel about it, she does call them the infected. So Yes, yes, she does. I noted that myself. So she is our, really our first main central character to definitively say the infected. So that's probably the answer to our, our question of what are they going to call the zombies in this show. But we'll wait to see if someone else, if someone uh, uses that term again, which I'm pretty sure yep. they will. Yeah. Um, but then uh, she tells Daniel that she saw a lot of people that were shot like the others, but they weren't sick. And my question is, how does she know they weren't sick? Just, well, they didn't look like zombies. They just looked like dead people. Is that it? Like they just didn't look they didn't have the eyes and they didn't look like, you know, Susan did. And so she's just assuming that they were just killing living people. Yes, I assume so. I mean, that's the only thing I can think of. Yeah, I would, uh, I would agree. They didn't look like zombies and I kind of figured one of them would open their eyes at some point. Uh, but they didn't, they didn't really look like zombies. They just looked like dead people lying in the street. Yeah. It's hard to say though, because these zombies are, are fresher, right? Uh, so they don't look, I mean, I guess Susan kind of did look a little bit zombie, zombie, zombified or, or, uh, decayed, but some of the really fresh new ones don't really look that, that different. So I'm not sure how Maddie would have known that they weren't sick, um, or, or whatever, but maybe she just meant that, you know, they were shot and they were dead and they weren't up and walking around like we've seen other ones. Right. You know, and maybe that's what she considers sick. So I don't know. Um, anyways. Who the hell knows, really? Yeah, anyways. I just, I didn't, I didn't see the point for her going out, uh, out of the fence other than to have that conversation with Daniel later. Right. Um, what else do we want to talk about here? Um, the, the the whole safe zone, to me, it felt a little bit like, almost like a mini Woodbury already, except instead of the governor running things, that uh, mili- military guy named Moyers was running things. Yeah, it, well, it sort of felt like it, but uh, it wasn't really. It seemed like there was actual, uh, you know, government authority going on here. Uh, so it didn't seem like there was just one tyrannical dude in charge of everything. It felt like, uh, you know, he's just following orders. I'm supposed to read this thing to you. Right. I read, you listen. Uh, you know, maybe that's all a ploy, but uh, if it is, it's a good one because it made me feel like uh, there's an actual governmental authority uh, in charge here. No, you're right. I got that feeling too. And it, it really just comes from the fact that he sort of said things like that, you know, that as you said, I have to read this to you as it's written kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but man, the guy's such a dick. <laughs> well, yeah. You know, and, and why do assholes like that always have to play golf? What is it about golf that, you know, there's always a scene where these guys are shooting balls while someone else is talking to them? Uh, yeah, because it, it depicts the, uh, uh, you know, the, the character flow where they just don't give a shit. You know, sure, I got to do all this stuff, but uh, I got more important things to do, like hitting this tiny little ball with this club. 
just just right. That's money, he says. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, that, but I've never heard a golf ball buzz like that when you hit it. Like if you, there was like one hit, and he went, went, and he went, ah, he swore, and oh, I was very upset about that shot. I didn't notice the buzz, but all right. But you know, unless you break a golf ball in half and it flies off and started buzzing. <laughs> yeah, like it's full of bees. Because so, as it spins, there's uh, you know the little flap that's sticking out makes uh, makes the buzzing sound. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I uh, I've never heard a golf ball buzz either. But you know what? In the apocalypse, you just hit the balls that you have. So maybe zombie golf balls. Maybe there's yeah. Maybe there was a problem with it. Um. Uh. And then uh, I don't know. Alicia didn't have a big part in this episode. Not too much anything uh with her. Um. But what the hell was she doing? She was tattooing herself. In yes. the neighbor's house? Yes, absolutely correct. She she The drawing that her boyfriend drew on her arm is fading, Yeah, so she wants it to be more permanent, so she's trying to give herself a bloody tattoo, which is just going to turn out bad. See, I think this clarifies and reinforces the fact that Alicia isn't quite, doesn't quite have it all together as we thought, and she's a little bit of a troubled kid because trying to tattoo yourself... Even in the apocalypse, when you know your boyfriend is long gone, I think that's pretty extreme. And when I was saying they didn't want to tell her things to protect her because, you know, she's an emotional teenage girl, she might not react very well. I think this solidifies that. Right. She was tattooing herself, for Christ's sake. Oh, it happens all the time. My brother gave himself a tattoo. Really? Oh, wait, he's emotionally disturbed. Hmm. <laughs> right. Isn't this this is the brother of yours that I, I've never met and is has some issues, right? Yeah. Well, he, you know, to be to to be quite fair, he gave himself the tattoo when he was in prison. Okay. Well, <laughs> he's just lucky someone else didn't give him a tattoo in prison. I guess. Well, that could it that could be it too. He told me he gave it to himself, but who really knows? Anyways, um, I think. Hey, I have nothing against tattoos. I No problem. My wife has a tattoo. Lots of people have tattoos. My God, I was out today and I was walking around and I saw a dude with full face tattoo. I, it, nice. I, I got to say, it made me do a double take and was a little creepy. With that beard, you got to get yourself a lizard tattooed on your neck. I'm just saying. Really? You need a lizard on my neck? Yeah, you need a lizard going up up your neck. Okay. I'll go do that's, that when we're done here. That's the thing to do when you have a big bushy beard. I'm I'm in a part of Vancouver called Gastown, and there is oh yeah. Uh, I mean, I think there's different areas of Gastown. Some not so nice, and some slightly nicer. I'm in the slightly nicer area, I think, and it's very trendy and hipstery though. Parts of it though, and there's a tattoo place just outside on the street. So when we're done here, I'll go get my lizard. Done. All right, perfect. Uh, speaking of the beard, boy, did a lot of people write in about that beard. Some say it's horrible. Some say it's amazing. It's some called it epic. Some said you're a ginger. Hide that shit. <laughs> All true. <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> you're probably right. Um, but it's no big red beard. You just gotta braid some of it, and you'll be all set. Yeah, you, I swear to God, you need braids and a couple of beads and a lizard neck tattoo and a toque, and you'll be you'll be good to go. No, you know what I'm going for? I'm going for. Uh, my wife tells me this that I'm starting to look like that. The guy in Game of Thrones, uh, the wildling guy who, um, oh yeah, who Jon uh, Snow kept captive for a while there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Forget his name. That's my bad. Yeah, see, he was in another movie called uh, Force Majeure, which was really good too. Anyways, also had a beard in that. Well, you never really watched The Hobbit, right? No, I didn't see. I saw the first yeah. Hobbit movie, but not the other yeah, ones. Yeah, 
it's full of dwarves and they all have beards. See? And they sort of look like yours. That's what I'm going for. There you go. Anyhow, back to Alicia. I think it totally makes sense now that they were trying to just keep things from her or just keep her focused on what was going on and not fly off the handle. And, uh, this whole tattooing thing. Oh, I was saying, I have nothing against tattoos, but tattooing yourself, not a good idea. And, I, you know, Alicia is going to come around, but uh, I, I think it makes sense now that they were trying to protect her. All right. She also reads Susan's suicide note as a voiceover at the end of the episode, which I thought was pretty nicely done. It was... Uh, it was emotional, it was touching, and, you know, somehow Susan uh, really seemed to see what was going on as the end of the world. I think in a really biblical sense, like, this right. is it, you know? Um, but uh, I, I think that was a nice kind of closure to Susan's story. Yes. And it was nice to have Alicia. Yeah, I like that, too. I like it. It was very touching. All right. Um, okay, so let's just talk about Nick and Dr. Exner a little bit here. So I mentioned it earlier on in the podcast, but, you know, Nick has been stealing drugs from people, and that's what uh, makes his mom beat the crap out of him. Yep. And that's why he's been able to hold it together a lot better than I was expecting him to, because he, you know, I thought he might not have the drugs, and therefore he should have been really in bad shape. But if he's been stealing drugs from people, that's not cool at all. No, it's not cool, and it's not uh, aiding his recovery in any way. No, it's really just delaying the inevitable, I guess, right? Yep. Um, but I'm glad we got to see that. It it makes everything work for me now. So I think this is going to sort of play out over a long period, and maybe not even... Uh, within this first season, since there's two episodes left. Um, but now that Nick's been taken away, I mean, anything can happen, right? He's he's in some mystery hospital somewhere now, and uh, who knows what is actually going on there. Because I have a feeling what's going to happen next is our characters are going to somehow get, you know, make their way to that hospital, find out it's not all what it's supposed to be, and that will be the sort of central conflict for the last two episodes of this season. You think so? Well, I, I haven't, I don't know. I don't, I don't get to watch the like next week on Fear the Walking Dead segments they do because they don't broadcast those here in Canada that I know of. Um, so I don't, I don't know what's going to happen, but I just have a feeling Nick's gone. His mom's going to want to get him back for some, somehow they're going to go to try to recover him. And that's going to be, you know, not going to go as planned. And that's probably going to be what the final, at least the final episode is about, or maybe spread out over the last two. Right. Okay. I don't know. What do you think of Dr. Exner though? Did she, did she, um, uh, deceive them by, by specifically targeting Nick to be taken away? Uh, I think, I don't think she deceived them. I think, well, if deceived, you mean lie, then yes. So she, it's kind she of what lied. Means. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, she lied saying you can go with your wife. Of course she's your wife. Yeah. She lied about that. She just wanted to placate him until, uh, uh, until it came time to actually take her. Um, did they like, what's going on? Like why take Nick? Like really? Well, that was my question. Like, what does she see? I mean, she knows she's, she knows Nick is recovering from a heroin addiction um, and she has to know that, yes, he's been taking these drugs to, you know, moderate the recovery a little bit. What's the problem with that? Like, is, does she not necessarily, does she not really believe that's what's going on with him? Or 
is that for some reason enough to take him away to this hospital? Maybe the goal is not to bring these people to the hospital. Maybe the goal is to get them out of the safe zone uh, in order to make the safe zone more safe. Safer, <laughs> yeah. But why? Like, why, why does someone with a foot injury make the safe zone unsafe unless there's... They might die. Right. Well, that's what I was saying. If they saying. die, then they'll be infected. Like, they'll come back to life and they might bite somebody else and then the whole thing just kind of goes for a big giant dump. And that... But it's the, the drug addict, you know, people don't dry, die necessarily from... Uh, well, do they die from heroin? I think they probably do. I think anyone who is not 100% healthy is considered a risk and they're taking them away. Yeah. All right. So I don't think it's, you know, we have to take them to the hospital. It's a matter of we got to get them the hell out of the safe zone, but we have to make sure we leave all the healthy people in the safe zone because we need this, we need as many people in here as we possibly can. Well, yeah. I mean, and they don't have to deal with them if they're in there and they're safe, right? Um, well, they're, they're, you know, also, you know, it's, uh, it's manpower. It's, uh, you know, rebuilding society. They need uh, the hewers of wood and the drawers of water and the log carrying guys. Right. That's right. I was going to say, don't forget log carrying guys. Um, <laughs> and they took away the neighbor too. I think his name was Doug Thompson, right? They took him away and he was just suffering from stress. It seemed like, like he just didn't want under. Well, he was tests. a risk. Like he's definitely a risk, right? He's, uh, you know, he's been holed up. He's unstable. He's doing things that uh, are, uh, I'm not sure. Just un-American, maybe. <laughs> what? Not 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 uh, going along with the authorities. <laughs> yeah, you go along to get along, and he's not going along, so he's not getting along. So he gets the gets the fuck out. Yeah, I mean, it certainly seems that way. I mean, if they're going to take away him, all he did was have a little bit of a, a mental breakdown because of the stress of it all, and he didn't want to undergo his tests. But then after Travis talked to him, he did. And they take away Nick because he's a recovering drug addict who, by all accounts, is doing reasonably well in his recovery if, you know, if you consider, like, taking drugs to delay it, doing well. And then they— <laughs> Yeah, that's doing fine. That's, that's no problem. Well, I mean, he's not—he's not dying. Like, he's not—it doesn't seem like it anyways, right? I don't no, know. No, but he's emotionally uh, unstable, just like that the, the neighbor guy, right? He's emotionally unstable, so we got to get rid of all these emotionally unstable uh, because they're unpredictable. And we can't have unpredictable people because they do unpredictable things. Hence being unpredictable. So they're taking away anyone who's not, like, of sound mind, totally level-headed, and perfectly healthy. Or able to follow direction and or be the sheep that they need. Right. So things are starting to look a little more questionable here, I would say, if that's if that's the case. Um, and for me, it just shows that you know, Nick is gone, and even though his mom was pissed with him for stealing drugs, she's not going to stand for that, and uh, she's going to need to get him back or at least figure out what the hell is going on. Right. So um, Maddie clearly blames Liza for all of this. I don't think it's really Liza's fault necessarily. I think Dr. Exner came to the decision of taking Nick on her own. Um, do you think Travis agrees with uh, Madison in this, that it's Liza's fault? Or is this going to, is this going to sort of drive a stake between the two of them, at least temporarily? I don't know if it'll drive a stake between them, but, and I don't think that they'll agree on, on this. 
Uh, I think it might be a minor hiccup, but, uh, you know, when in doubt, take your wife's side. That's good advice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Actually, not even when in doubt. Just do that. <laughs> yeah, just always do that. Um, you know, I, I was a little bummed out by that, and only because I have this silly notion that, you know, I really enjoyed seeing this solid, loving couple in this show dealing with these extreme circumstances. And because... <sighs> And I, and I don't want them to come apart from that. You know, I think it was interesting sort of seeing how this was working. So if this really does separate them or cause a lot of tension in the relationship, I mean, I know you need that sort of thing on TV shows or it might be super boring, but I don't know. I think a solid couple who really work well together as a team dealing with these sorts of things is just as interesting. So I hope it doesn't screw them all up. Yeah, I hope so too. You know, um, so anyways, uh, that's that. Anything else about this episode? I, like I said, I didn't really like it at all the first time I watched it, but I think there was more to it than my initial viewing revealed after I watched it a second time. Um, and uh, I'm kind of okay with it now, at least because if nothing else is because it sort of set up what's to come, I feel like. And it did provide a lot more information about what's going on in this uh, world in general. I liked the uh, the opening scene with Travis going jogging, and uh, uh, what's his name in the in the in the in the bathtub? Mm. What do you call the big outside bathtub? Yeah, Nicholas in the pool. Nicholas in the pool. Uh, I liked that, and I liked the uh, the song that was playing over. It's a happy day. Yes, um, it was uh, the Lou Reed song. Um, yes, uh, perfect day. Perfect day. That's it. Uh, I really like that. The fact, and, and you know, the fact that he's out jogging, just it kind of sets the uh, the stage for uh, normality versus abnormality. It was just like, okay, it's normal that he go he would go jogging in the morning, but damn it, you're in the middle of a zombie apocalypse in a safe zone, and uh, that's a little weird. I thought for a but, second it was a flashback, to be honest. So did I. I thought maybe this was this what they were doing a flashback uh, opening, but then I, I realized. You know, obviously that uh, it wasn't a flashback. It was, you know, just this little semblance of normality. Yeah. And uh, if we all, if we learned anything from Zombieland, uh, cardio, cardio, cardio. So, uh, you know, go for a run. That's a good point. Yeah. Travis needs to stay in shape. Yeah. And that's the primary reason why I will probably die in the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> you could start running. You could start jogging. No, I run like an old woman. My knees are bad. My ankle's bad. I can barely climb the stairs sometimes. I almost fell down the stairs the other day because I uh, stepped wrong on my ankle. Ooh, that's care. Be careful with that, man. I don't want you to fall down the yeah. stairs. I was carrying three bags of laundry. You should, uh, you should go swimming. <laughs> that's easier on the joints, isn't it? It is. So in the zombie apocalypse, just swim everywhere. Damn right, because they can't swim. <laughs> no, uh, and it's it can be tough to get around, you know, in certain places by swimming everywhere. But what well, depends? Depends. Depends on where you depends are. Depends on where you are. That's we true. live near the uh, the largest lakes in the world. We'll be fine. Oh sure, yeah. Just swim out into the lake and never come back in. Well, we we'll go to Toronto Island. There's uh, you know, there's houses out there. There's a a, a little park and a nude beach and, and a nude. Well, a lot of good that'll do in the zombie apocalypse. But <laughs> that's true. There's an airport. That's a good start. That's true. Hey, Toronto Island might not be a terrible place to hole up. There's uh, there's an underground tunnel now, eh? Yeah, I know, but come on. You can easily block up a tunnel. Yeah, you, it's not a big tunnel. They, yeah, it's not a big tunnel. Anyway, it's not a bad idea. We'll, we'll think about it. All right, that's good. That's the beginnings of a plan right there. Yeah. 
All right, if you have any thoughts on this week's episode of Fear the Walking Dead, send them in uh, via email or go to our website and click on send voicemail. Um, and uh, you can send us your messages too. Let us know if you sort of agree with our take or disagree or, or somewhere in between. It's always fun to get, uh, get responses from people. Listener feedback. Uh, okay, let's move right into listener feedback for this episode, speaking of responses. And we're going to start with Andy in the UK. Wait, I'm going to do this one because you did the last one. You start with Andy in the uh, UK. Andy in the UK. Holy crap. Two or three open-handed slaps to the face and Nick bruises up like a roughly handled peach. So here's what I took away from that after Andy wrote this and I was thinking about it. In the original show, zombies have really soft heads. But in this right. show, the living have really soft heads. In in the <laughs> in the big show, everybody has soft heads. Living, dead, doesn't matter. I guess so. It's like uh it, it's like a pickled egg. Right, so you put like you don't peel, you don't hard boil and peel an egg when you put it in the pickle jar, right? You just throw the egg in, and the whole thing turns into this weird rubber thing. That's true. You don't you don't deshell it. That's right. Wait, you don't? You, you, I thought you hard boiled eggs and then pickled them. You just throw the whole egg in. Oh, I I don't know. Actually, I'm an idiot. I, I think you might be right. I think you might be right. You just throw eggs in the pickle water and let them sit, and they turn into like you said this weird rubber thing. So, <laughs> which are delicious, by the way. I love pickled eggs. Yeah, mice. quite delicious. Uh, so, uh, I think if people's heads in the zombie apocalypse, the uh, whatever they're infected with, uh, has an effect on uh, maybe everybody's becoming pickled. Maybe that's the thing: is everybody's getting slowly pickled in this universe. Wow, I think we've cracked it, man. Everyone is being pickled. <laughs> you can't crack it; they're pickled. Yeah, you can bounce it. <laughs> yeah, bouncy eggs. All right, thanks, Andy. Uh, Sean on the internet writes, holy crap, did you see what a piece of shit Nick is? Stealing <laughs> <laughs> stealing morphine from an old cancer patient? That's pretty low. About as low as hooking up with a soldier so you can get drugs for your mother. It's interesting to see the lengths people are already going to to survive. Yep. Yeah, well. Sex in the back of a Humvee, or sorry, sexy time in the back of a Humvee. Yeah, and, and her whole reason for being there was, I need drugs. And then he's like, I asked the commander or whatever, I couldn't get them. And she's like, all right, whoa, whoa slow down there, buddy. Let's, let's. Well, I don't know if it was uh, quid pro quo. I think it was, uh, you know, opportunistic. This guy, I, I really want to make out with him. And he might be able to get me drugs. We did see earlier on when they were chatting, she was all flirty and smiling. So I, you're right. There's yeah. probably something there. And Alicia rolled her eyes at her. So. It seems like they've seen this before, but... Nah, she's a drug whore. <laughs> well, maybe. <laughs> All right, next we have... Uh, where the hell are we? We're Pete in Sacramento, California. A new listener. Thank you, Pete. My holy crap moment. Nick was back wearing the dead man's clothes again after... Uh, at the end of the episode when he's being taken away. It was nice to see that he wasn't wearing them while floating in the pool, but <laughs> the fact that he put them on afterward te afterwards tells me he has no other clothes in the house or he just really likes wearing clothes from a dead man. Yeah, so he goes to the pool, puts on a bathing suit, floats in it, goes swimming, gets out, presumably dries off, puts on the dead man's clothes again. Okay, so there's two things going on here. One is, do you think that he... You know, we all have clothes that we wear again after a while, right? Well, yes. We launder them. You don't. And then we did, you know, maybe we just caught him on his nine-day cycle. Maybe he's got <laughs> nine outfits, and this is, and he used to have eight, but now he has nine, and this is day nine, and he's back into his day nine outfit. 
Okay, that's a good theory. And did his mom launder these dead man's clothes before he put them back on, or do you think there's still smelly dead guy uh, all over them? Who knows? Don't know. I don't know if they're doing a lot of laundry when they don't have too much running water and stuff. They got a pool. They could just wash them in the pool. That's true. The pool was full of leaves and shit, too, so... Yeah, well, that's fine. Maybe they're doing laundry in there. Um, but y- yeah, I I have I don't think the pants were the same at the end of the episode, but like the jacket and the shoes were definitely the same. But maybe it just smells like that old guy and he finds that comforting. That's yeah, maybe. I don't know. He's like <laughs> that was my buddy in the hospital and and uh, those were good times. That's He turned into a zombie and then I stole his clothes. Yeah, that's right. I'm just going to keep wearing these until they're just tattered shreds and then I'll find something else. Right. Uh, All right. Thanks, Pete. Maybe it's laundry day. Maybe today is laundry day, and this is what he wears on laundry day. Yeah. I mean, there there are clearly all kinds of explanations. Or he has like six jackets that are all the same. (laughs) Like I said, all kinds of explanations, (laughs) not the least of which is that's the wardrobe they put him in, and they shot this all on the same couple of days. Right. I've got three pair of jeans that all look the same, so I just assume people think that I only have one pair of jeans. Well, yeah, that, that, that can be a problem, although I don't really pay too much attention to what everyone's wearing. So unless it draws my attention for some reason, like this. And in this case, dude's wearing dead guy's clothes all the time, and it draws my attention, and it bothers me. Well, there you go. Okay, um, next is Sally on the Internet. The creepy unseen hospital the military is taking people off to. I totally dig seeing a two-hour episode just about that place. I have a feeling we're going to get that because I think that's where our characters are going. Cool. So, Sally, you may be in for a treat next week and the week after. Nice. So next we have Jack on the internet. My comment for this week's episode is one word, meh. The biggest problem I had with this this episode was that they decided to skip nine days. I liked the previous episodes where they pretty much started off where they left off. To suddenly skip nine days is perhaps a little too much. Uh, I would have liked to have seen how the military maybe uh, round people up, informs them, or lies to them, see maybe a shot in the distance of how the fences are being put up, etc. Yeah, were you bothered by the fact that we just skipped nine days and now suddenly we're in a safe zone with fences and, you know, things are just, people are just going about their business? For some reason, not at all. Yeah, neither was I when I was watching it. It never occurred to me that, like, Huh, I wonder what happened in the last nine days. Well, clearly they put fences up, and for some reason that was just okay with me, because... I like gloss time. Well, it, it can be okay. I mean, it, it doesn't always work, but, um, you know, in the main show, we've often got that between seasons and stuff, which feels okay because seasons tend to wrap up storylines, and then, you know, there's a eight-month break in real life, so when you come back, it feels like time should have passed. Here, it was one episode to the next, and now we're nine days later. Right. But uh, yeah, it didn't really bother me that much either. But I can see Jack's point, wanting to know what was going on. And one of the things about this show is that it's supposed to be a, a slow burn, as people keep saying. And we are supposed to find out all the details of how this, you know, thing came to be and how the early days of the zombie outbreak were. So we're getting a bit of that. But now suddenly we're skipping nine days. Hmm. It's, a, it's an interesting choice, I think. Fine by me. Fine by you. All right. Well, as long as you're okay with it. Uh, Wendy <clears throat> on the internet writes, wow, last night's episode was amazingly terrible. 
Oh. So slow and not a single walker even shown. I was so disappointed and found myself so uninterested that I surfed Facebook instead of being on the edge of my seat with anticipation. <laughs> <laughs> I guess those are the, the two choices, either surf Facebook or be on the edge of your seat with anticipation. Right. Uh, Wendy continues, who cares about Travis jogging, Nick swimming, Madison painting, and Alicia tattooing? I just don't care. Not sure I'll even keep watching. Total letdown. Thank Aww. God The Walking Dead is back on in a few weeks to rescue us. Well, we only have two episodes left, and I think it's going to... This was a uh, a pre-counterpoint of the excitement of the next two episodes. I think this was just kind of setting the stage uh, where everything is relaxed, you know, everything's safe. We don't even see a walker for crying out loud. I think it, this is, uh, you know, trying to set the stage for what's going to happen next. I think you're right. And so, Wendy, please don't give up. Watch the last two episodes and then... Um, you know, make an assessment based on the entire season. That's, I think, the best course of action for everybody. All right, Wendy, I want you to write in after every episode just to, to give us, a, a, you know, your thoughts on what's, what's happening over the next two episodes, whether you're still not interested or, uh, you know, if, even if you have given up on the next episode, write in and tell us, I didn't even watch it. Whatever, just write in. Yeah, exactly. Jason's called you out, Wendy, so you have to do it now. I don't know if I'd call her out. I'm just more interested well, in what she has to say. Requested. I didn't mean. I didn't mean call out in a bad way. I just meant. Well, you know. I, it's the connotation. I, 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 I don't want to have an, any kind of negative connotation, <laughs> Wendy. I just wanted. You know, I'm interested to hear what you have to say. All right. Well, speaking about being negative, you read the next one. All right. Why is that negative? Well, read it. When I read things are negative? No, 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 because it's from it's from our friend. All right, it's Angie in Birmingham. Yes. First off, Chris, See? I'll forgive you for telling me I was wrong last week because on second and third viewing, the episode grew on me. It's still the weakest of the three, in my opinion, but it was better than first thought. I did, however, love episode four a very accurate visualization of how 99% of the population would act in the same situation. As much as I wanted to slap them half the episode, uh, I think I'd act the same as much as I'd, uh, I think, what? I think I'd act the same as much as I'd like to think not. Extreme horror followed by extreme denial is a normal reaction. So Angie and I aren't really seeing things on the same page because I thought episode three was amazing and uh, even though it grew on her, it wasn't her favorite. And then I thought episode four was okay, but not my favorite, and she loved it. So um, fair enough. That's that's the way things go. Um, but, you know, her saying that it's sort of how most of the population would act in the same situation, maybe she's right, and uh, that's that's okay. Oh, yeah. Denial is, uh, don't underestimate the power of human denial. Oh, we, we, us, us humans, our brains are too big for their own good. We can deny anything. Yeah. And when you have a cold, never underestimate the amount of mucus the human body can produce. <laughs> yes, I agree with that too. I don't know how it's relevant, but I agree with it. <laughs> it's, it's about not, not underestimating people. All right. And their mucus production abilities. Or denial. There you go. Uh, all right. Next is Brittany in Illinois. Finally, someone had some true, appropriate human emotion for the situation. Madison. She should have slapped the shit out of Nick a long time ago. Uh, I feel like she's been tiptoeing around his need to sober up, because, you know, the dead are rising. 
And when Nick was dragged away, holy shit, there's some realistic emotion and communication going on there. She's pissed, sad, angry, which I totally believe. Yeah. And remember, I only condone slapping of children on scripted national television. Sure. I'm, I'm, I think it's weird that you have to specify that. But <laughs> I, well, because I think this, that was awesome. It was an awesome emotionally charged scene. It was. But I don't condone slapping normally. Yep. Very good. All right, so we have Jerry on the internet. The writers and directors are wasting the opportunity to use specific, uh, the specific character of the setting, Los Angeles, to explore the show's themes. For what it's worth, I grew up there and was excited when I noticed uh, the show was partly set in the high school I attended. If I'm not mistaken, there's a popular conception that L.A. is a glimpse of the future. Cities too vast to govern, multi, uh, multicultural, crime and gang-ridden, etc., in short, a city on the edge of collapse. Uh, with the exception of the scene where Travis and his son look upon the power going out, there are no establishing shots, even hinting at how sprawling and centerless the city really is. To cite one example, example, a realistic depiction of Alicia's trip to the beach would show, uh, would show how very far away it is, the long and congested freeways and the boulevards she'd have to drive to get there, the large and very distinct neighborhoods she'd pass. The trek through, this, uh, through such a city in the midst of an apocalypse would provide a whole lot of drama. Instead, characters zip around and we have no idea how the place is laid out. So I, I, think, um, I think Jerry has a really, really interesting point here. And he may have sent this in before we saw episode four. Because no one's really, I mean, getting around now super easy. Um, but he does make a good point. Los Angeles is a character in itself, and it's massive. Anyone who's been to Los Angeles knows that it's massive. Um, you can drive for two hours and still be in Los Angeles. Yeah. And and he's right. Like, her trip to... The, well, you can drive for two hours and not get very far. Well, yeah, fair enough, but you're still... <laughs> you drive for six hours and still be in Los Angeles. still in Los Angeles, yeah. Um, but he's right. I mean, her trip to the beach would have taken a long time. Now, that happened kind of really early on. I think life was still pretty normal then. Um, now, if she wanted to take that trip to the beach, it would be a whole different story. Um, and as much as I think the safe zone that they've set up makes sense and is logical, I do think it would be a little more interesting if we just had roving bands of survivors in Los Angeles Um just trying to move around and stay safe and and uh, survive. I mean, that would be pretty awesome. And maybe we'll get there because I have a feeling these safe zones won't last forever. But right. um, I think maybe once that happens, we'll end up with much more, uh, a much you know, have have Los Angeles be much more a, a character or a part of the show than it is right now. Well, I would hope so. And you've seen you've well, you've not seen Twenty Four. That would, the first uh, six seasons were set in Los Angeles. And Jack Bauer used to get across town because uh, 24 was supposed to be real time, right? Yeah. So 24 or 60 minutes takes an hour worth of television. And I think somebody did the math to get from uh, one part of Los Angeles to the other in the time that they showed Jack Bauer doing it. He would have to be driving like 30,000 miles an hour. And uh, that's completely unrealistic. Well, wait a minute. Jack Bauer can teleport, can't he? No, he flies a helicopter and he drives a, uh, uh, a fast... Uh, you know, suburban of some kind. I just assumed he could teleport. <laughs> well, <laughs> if he can get around. Yes and no. <laughs> yes and no. Usually he's running. Maybe he just runs at supersonic speed. There you go. He's actually but, the Flash. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, um, 
yeah, Los Angeles is big and Los Angeles is, big. is interesting. So I think, yeah, I think they should use the city a little bit more. Um, you know, but that might not be until season two. We'll see. Okay, Thomas on the internet uh, wrote in, although he didn't sign his email with his name or put his location. So I just kind of inferred his name from the, uh, from his email address. So Thomas, I hope this is correct. But um, Thomas writes, I was reflecting on the most recent Fear the Walking Dead episode. And with the realization that nine days had passed since part of the group escaped the riot in the city, I fear that some of the audience may have been shortchanged on parts of the collapse of society. Maybe the remaining episodes will flesh out the downfall and address it with detailed firefights and infrastructure destruction, but it also feels like they may have used prior isolated incidents like the hospital standoff with zombies, the power grid going down, smoke on the distant horizon, the looting and rioting as a shorthand so that we, the audience, just piece together that the nine days has not, uh, nine days not seen were rough times throughout the city. I guess I want more visual than piecemeal exposition. Like what happened in the neighborhood Madison snuck into finding dead people? What happened besides uh, besides the downtown riot? And what did the police and emergency workers look like in the face of this unfolding massacre? Yeah. And it's kind of the same uh, point that we've sort of skipped over stuff that could have been potentially really interesting. And I have a feeling we're not really going to go back to fill in those holes, but that doesn't mean that coming up in the future, Thomas, there won't be um, just as much interesting stuff sort of to, to be depicted on screen um, that's kind of related to this stuff because the military's still involved, so they're still going to be doing things. We know we have this hospital out there that's treating people, whatever is actually going on there, I don't know, but we're going to have that play out. And so I, I don't think we've totally lost the opportunity, but I can see his point. We skipped over nine days for seemingly no reason other than just to move the story along. That's, that's fine with me. I like skipping over times. I wish sometimes that I could skip over uh, some parts of my life too. Like if I could just gloss over, uh, you know, the next 15 years and then see what life is going to be like after that, that'd be okay. Except that I wouldn't want to get older doing it. You know, I just want to see what life is like in 15 years from now. But not get yeah, I'm, I'm thinking more like maybe just gloss over the next 10 minutes that I got to do the dishes, you know, or like yeah. the next 15 minutes of folding laundry. I could, I could use, I could go without that. Oh, uh, you see, okay. So I got a little bit confused. What I'm looking for is time travel, not gloss. I want to yeah. travel into the future. I don't care about the past. The past is bullshit. I want to <laughs> go into the future to find out what's going on. You were already in the past. <laughs> I've been to the past. Right. It rather sucks, okay? <laughs> All right. I haven't been to the future. I want to find out what's going on over there. Yeah, you're looking for time travel. I'm just looking for uh, zone out or gloss You're looking time. for not doing the dishes. Pro really. Probably, yeah. Uh, so anyways, uh, good one. <laughs> All right. So lastly, we have uh, uh, Maria on the internet. I wonder if it will have consequences that Madison made a hole in the fence. Uh, after what she had seen outside the fence, there should be no doubt for her anymore that things won't get better for a very long time. Yep. It didn't seem like things were very in very good shape out there, and now there's a hole in the fence. I'm pretty sure that hole in the fence is the entire reason that she left the compound. I, like that that's why. I mean that's the that's the plot point. That's why she went what her motivations are are unclear, but why she left was to make a hole in the fence. Yeah, you're probably right. I mean, it's the hole in the fence and the conversation with Daniel later about seeing the infected or seeing people that were shot that she didn't think was were sick. 
that's that's it right there. So hole in the fence. What if the hole in the fence is just their way that they that they can sneak out and it doesn't let anybody like or anything in? It doesn't work. My brother did that when we were in grade school. Uh, he made a hole in the fence so he could sneak out at night, but he got caught. It was it was not good. He, like a hole in the fence of your house so he could sneak out of that house? Well, the gate, there was, our house at the time was completely surrounded by uh, a fence, right? That was, you know, put up before we moved there. We were just renting the place at the time. And uh, the gate to get out was very big and squeaky. So he didn't want to have to climb the fence because it was near my parents' window and he didn't want to have to open the gate because it made a lot of rattling noise. So he kind of, you know, secretly made a a small little hole in the fence that he could move the boards out of the way and then go through and then close it behind him. It was very crafty. He was a very crafty guy. Uh, But eventually, you know, my parents, you know, as as parents sometimes do, they went into the backyard and then saw the hole in the fence Mm, and went, hey... Asshole, why is there a hole in the fence? <laughs> He's a very crafty guy who ended up getting tattooed in jail. Yeah, he got caught for everything. So not that crafty. I never got, I never got caught. Well, he was very uh, clever as in mechani- mechanically inclined to be able to do stuff like this, but man, he could not, he just seems to get caught for everything. Well, sounds like you had, you guys had a, a different childhoods. Yeah, it was, you know, alongside each other, but they were quite different. He got caught, I didn't get caught to teach the poor bastard how to lie. Like, he did not know how to lie to get out of stuff. Well, good thing you were there then. Yeah, I'm very good at lying. Very, very good. It's kind of scary. All right. Well, we'll test that later somehow. Sure. All right. Um, That's it for feedback for this episode. Um, Let's talk briefly about what's coming next week on Fear the Walking Dead. And all I'm going to do is read the title and the director. So really no spoilers coming up here. The title of next week's episode is Cobalt. Oh, that was the uh, that was the name of the show for a while. Very good. That's the code name they used while the show was under development. So, what do you think cobalt means, Jason? It means blue. <laughs> what do you think it means in reference to this show? I think something's gonna blue. <laughs> Perfect. All right, we'll find out. The director is the same director that did episode four, Carrie Scogland. Um, so uh, there's that. And uh, we don't have a description yet, so that's pretty much all we can say about what's coming up next week. Uh, that'll, of course, be on Sunday night, and we'll be podcasting about that on the following Monday. Uh, all right, that's going to wrap up this podcast. So I'm in Vancouver, you're in Toronto. Next week, we'll both be back in the regular studios, so uh, hopefully things are on schedule then. In the meantime, if you want to get in contact with us, you can find us on Facebook facebook.com slash the talking dead or find us on twitter at talking dead um and uh, if you want to leave us a voicemail visit talkingdeadpodcast.com and click on send voicemail the other thing about the website is you can find every single episode we've ever recorded there um which you can't necessarily do on the itunes feed there's only the last 50 on there so if you're looking for something older or you want to go back or you're a new listener and you want to start right at the beginning go to talkingdeadpodcast.com and uh, page back and you'll find every single episode we've ever done um and then of course uh email you can send us email at talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com and uh, i read them all i respond to some people and we like to get as many as we can on the air so by all means send in your emails Jason, are you okay over there? Or you look a little disturbed. I'm petting my cat. She came down to uh, to tell me that I'm late. 
giving her dinner. Ah, okay. Well, luckily we're almost done here, so your animals can eat. Um, if I don't pet her, she'll chew on something, and I can't get up, so I have to pet her. Okay, good for you. All right, well, continue petting your cat, and you can go feed them now. Um, until next time, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Say hi, Rosie. All right. Good night. Good night.